Welcome to Coffee House. I didn't really get to do a Halloween special this year, so this is going to serve as the Halloween special just a day late. <laughs> but these are a couple of things that I watched recently that are in that genre. So I wanted to talk about them because I thought they were illustrative of a principle that we could kind of dive into. So false positive and cabinet of curiosities. People don't really understand the cost of terrible writing. It's easy to write a fantasy where you just get what you want where all of your suspicions are vindicated, and where you are the center of attention. Men used to make these trash movies, well, they still do, but these trash movies, uh, you know, like plain action movies that you'd see, especially in the 90s, there were tons of these, where the man is attractive and easily garners female attention, the man beats up all his enemies uh, to show his superiority and wins in the end. In a real movie, you have a protagonist that recognizes his flaws, and then over the course of the movie, he overcomes his flaws and achieves something. Now, today, women are more involved in the act of filmmaking and TV production than have ever been before. And they make a different kind of trash movie, but for the same reasons. It's just simple wish fulfillment, just like the men had their wish fulfillment in being a super attractive, buff, powerful man who gets all the women and beats up his enemies. The arc in the wish fulfillment for women when they are making movies and TV shows is that women just have to realize how great she is. So that's the point. She has to realize how great she is and everybody else has to realize how great she is. So realize this is how superficial people of both genders approach filmmaking and storytelling. It's not necessarily gender-based. They just do it in different ways. I recently read some quote, and I can't find it where I had seen it initially, but it said something to the effect of women are born believing they have value, and men are born believing they have to earn it. And there's a lot of truth to that, and that can be expressed in the kind of storytelling that's done based on each gender is that when you watch a lot of things that are created by women, a lot of that they already suggest from the beginning to the end that they have value, that they're valued in some way, and it's nothing they did or accomplished or anything like that, they just, they just have it. Whereas men, when they write these stories, a lot of the times, most of the time, it's about a man having to demonstrate his worth or value by the things that he does and accomplishes throughout his life, or throughout the story at least. So, false positive. The screenplay was actually by Ilana Glazer. She is best known for Broad City, a show that's a comedy. And I know I watched a few episodes, and it was all right. I don't remember a whole lot about it, but she's mostly known for that. And I didn't recognize her at first, but I, I could place the face somewhere. But she has straight hair in this, and usually her hair is kind of curly in, in the show. But regardless, and whatever I think of, of the actual show itself, she has that comedic timing, you know, and she has a, little, a bit of charisma. And it's directed by John Lee, and I looked into his history, and he has a lot of TV, including the that Amy Schumer show, Inside Amy Schumer. He directed some of those, apparently. And then Justin Theroux is there, but he's kind of lost all interest by the time we get to the end of this movie. I think it started out, you know, because it had a good premise. I think a lot of people were motivated at the beginning and then kind of lost it toward the end. But she is, and Lana Glazer, definitely one of these mindlessly liberal celebrities. I would venture to say that she has never thought critically about a political issue for a moment in her life, but she pretends to be absolutely certain about every single one of them. There was actually a moment in this where I thought it was going to be something more when the issue of abortion came up. because So the premise of the movie is that these this couple, who's well-to-do, are having a lot of trouble getting pregnant. So they go to a, a very special uh, fertility doctor that, that the husband knew from med school or something like that. 
and the fertility doctor you know uses uses some methods to ensure that that they get pregnant and things ensue from there but the point is at this one particular issue she is pregnant but she's pregnant with three embryos and two of which are twins and there are two boys and one of which is a female is girl but to ensure the health of one of those you know either the pack of boys or the single girl to ensure the health and the likelihood of them surviving they have to abort one of them. So I thought it was going to be like a modern Sophie's choice. I thought that's what it's going to go into, that she has this moral dilemma of trying to figure out, okay, who do I choose? Because either way, I'm losing out, I'm killing somebody or I'm losing out on being able to have these children. And is that going to haunt me forever, you know, once I make this decision? And it being a horror movie, or at least a thriller, I thought that that's what it was going to, that's the direction it was going to go. So at one point, Justin Thoreau's character, he says that, well, I want the boys. You know, you ha we have two. They're healthier. They're more likely to make it because the, the doctor had said that they were. And so let's pick the boys over the girl. And she says, you know what? No, I want the girl. I want the girl because uh, I have pictured how the girl will look at me. So I want the girl. And so the <laughs> any kind of a moral quandary over this issue is completely disappeared. There's nothing related to that. No, no complexity whatsoever when it comes to deciding, uh, making a decision on this. And you can tell it has that sensibility, uh, that modern political sensibility in that there is no, nothing about the movie or the characters or anything like that have any qualms whatsoever with aborting, you know, either the two boys or the girl. They have no issues with that. It's perfectly fine. They have no psychological problems with it going forward. And the movie doesn't even imply that they ought to. You know, this is something that could have very easily been an aspect of the storytelling and the character and the thematics of the movie is that if she if she has to do one, if she ends up being haunted by the one she, you know, had killed or something like that, then that would that would be a good source of horror moving forward, you know, psychological horror, whatever you want to call it. They could have done a whole lot of things with that, or it could have been, you know, some aspect of, of just an insight into their character in general and made them more complex and have something to hold on to when we're trying to figure out who these people are. Instead, like I said, it's just completely ignored. They don't care one way or the other which one it is. The only thing that happens is that we find out, and spoiler alert, I don't know if you want to watch this thing, but we find out later that they had tricked her and they actually kept the boys instead of the girl because the husband wanted to and the doctor wanted to, and so, yeah, they pulled one over on her. And this uh, takes us to the other part of it, that it's just steeped in wokeology. They have this constant, like, slay queen dialogue. And it gets, I mean, it gets hilarious at certain points. So many pieces of cinema do this nowadays, but a lot of them are more subtle about it. And you cannot, like, overlook it, or you at least you can stomach it because other aspects of the production are good. But in this case, oh my god. <laughs> there are so many cliches about female oppression. Uh, it's They talk at some point about... How, oh, I'm going to quit my job to be a mother. One of her friends says this, and she's critical of her. Oh, you shouldn't do that. And she says, I'm absolutely not quitting my job to do this because I worked for it and I should have my job. And then uh, all of her male co-workers, she's tons of them, are completely interested and want to be supportive of her for an extended period of time. And that's the thing. Whenever you want to look at one of these kind of movies and see if it's superficially written or not, look to the supporting characters and whether they have any interests beyond what they have to do with the main character. At some point, somebody brought up the Bechdel test to see if women actually talk to each other when it wasn't about men to see if there's that aspect of complexity in the storyline. They just did it based on gender. But you can do that just based on anything you could take any genders of the 
of the supporting characters and see if they actually talk to each other about something that doesn't have to do with the main character or if it has something to do with the main character it's ancillary and that's not what's important about it and all the supporting characters in this whenever they're involved into the storyline they are directly interested in talking about or engaging with or interacting with the main character so that she is just the locus of all attention and the universe that is being built around her but just beyond that there are like i said there are a whole bunch of cliches about oh well it's my body and i'm the one who gets to decide and she puts her husband in his place at one point oh i've decided no this is the one i'm choosing so that's that and he's oh well it's my kid too and she's like i don't care i already chose that's just the way it is I mean, the narcissism is unbelievable. And then, you know, much of the plot as it goes along, it's about how men are evil and trying to control. And you have to be suspicious of all the men around you, especially your husband, which so often it turns out. I mean, you marry a guy or trying to have children with the guy, and yet he turns out to be a, a horrible sociopath. <laughs> and who knew, right? You didn't have to know that. You shouldn't have figured that out before you married him. But there's even a, a super reversey kind of uh, woke cliche thing wherein you've got this one character who's this uh, black woman who's supposed to be uh, whatever they're called. You know, they help with the, the birth at home. And so she's looking to him because she's holistic and she has all these videos online talking about how men are trying to control you and all that stuff. So she wants to go to her and use her instead of the doctor. And at a certain point, the the black woman's like, you know, I'm not your black oracle character who just mystically knows what's true about the world. And so they did a who's <laughs> calling out the evil white woman for being a racist. So they do a double reversey kind of cliche thing where they call out its own thing for trying to be cliche about it. But it doesn't really actually doesn't have any significance other than uh, the black woman gets to call out the white woman. And this is the only time that the movie implies that the main character is wrong about something or <laughs> did something morally incorrect. So it just goes, it goes on, and eventually, like I said, she learns everything, that it was this plot by those two, and it was actually the doctor who impregnated her when they were doing the in vitro, and so it was his children, and she has fantasies about tossing the children out the window, and eventually the big denouement, oh my god, this is, it was one of the dumbest movies I've ever seen in my life, I mean, easily. It's in that category. During the end, she physically beats up the doctor and his nurse. And she's all bloody and walking down the street. And she goes to the children. And when Justin Thoreau's character shows up, Oh my gosh, what's happening? I don't know what any of this is. You know, oh my god, you plotted with my fertility doctor to impregnate me with his children. And, and now these uh, you have to take these children. She just hands the children to him and says, go, get out. I don't want these things. Uh, even though, I mean, they're half her kid, but still. And she's like, go, get out, uh, take them, and, and move on. And it was just, there was a ton of blood and a ton of really weird stuff. She gets the, uh, and I don't know if this is meant to be literal or not, but she gets the baby girl who's very premature and tries to breastfeed her. And then the, the tiny baby starts breastfeeding or something. There are so many childishly and superficially obvious things about this movie. It's, it's an absolute wonder. And I think it's just because she's been with Hulu forever, so, you know, in broad City. so that's how she got this got to be able to make this film at least be the writer and the star of it but you can tell that this is a person who does not have the intellectual chops to understand how any of this stuff works and it's just this kind of really childish i mean teen era fantasy to make yourself the center of attention and the entire world just be about your generic politics about you know whatever 
So I just, uh, yeah, I found it absolutely horrendous. But it was indicative of the kind of storytelling that, that they do. Because at every moment, it wasn't about trying to tell a good story or an expression of the character. At every moment, it was about trying to garner more praise or attention for the main character or vindicate her in everything that she thought, you know, instinctively from the beginning. And it just goes over the top in, uh, in all the evil that she perceived in all the rest of the world. And it doesn't have even an understanding or a mind to think about things like that could be more complex, you know, related to abortion or babies or family or, or anything like that. It has no interest in any of those questions. So that was that movie. <laughs> and uh, something else that I, I watched was The Cabinet of Curiosities, which was produced, uh, it's my understanding, it was produced by and presented by Guillermo del Toro. And there are about eight episodes, and it's supposed to be scary little stories for each episode that are their own contained thing. And the first episode was actually directed by Guillermo Navarro, but based on an original story by Guillermo del Toro. And ironically, written by Regina Carrado, so uh, she wrote it for the screen. It was called Lot 36, and it's starring Tim Blake Nelson. This is a guy who's been in a whole bunch of stuff. He's probably best known for Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I think he was some kind of a... Like he managed a cryo facility or something in some movie. Maybe it was uh, that Steven Spielberg, Tom Cruise movie. I just keep picturing his face in that. But Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? is probably the big one that people know him for. So it's a legit actor, but it's about a guy who buys a storage unit, and he's in. he needs to pay off debts. He has a bunch of debts to people who are ch chasing him down, so he needs to pay off debts. So he's kind of downtrodden, but the sense is that he got himself into it, and now he's trying to get himself out. But in buying these storage units, uh, he finds more than he bargained for. And apparently it was based on a, a story that was personal to Guillermo del Toro, but he was just, he had a storage unit, and it was apparently sold out from under him. And so he, he thought up this, this idea about that. So he gets his storage unit and he finds more than he bargained for and it kind of descends into this thing where he finds some uh, pretty grotesque stuff. But the character is not a likable guy. You know, he's, he's not very likable at all. They start out doing it in kind of a generic way, but expand on that as you go along. So the generic way is that he's interested in, like, conspiracy theories and he's listening to things that are untoward in polite society. So this makes you think, oh, he's not a great guy. But even beyond that, he's just kind of mean to other people. And he has people who he's, he interacts with in fine ways. But at some certain point, you have an inkling that you want him to have something work out. Because it's he's, a, he's an ex-vet. And uh, so there's this balance in what the character is. But this, for one thing that you can absolutely say about this movie is that it's not a vehicle for self-praise. That is certainly not the point that this was written it's refreshingly unique in the way that it handles the characters. Like I said, the guy's not very likable. Some of the other characters are more likable and he has confrontations with them. But you're really just going down this path of trying to figure out what's going on and what's going to happen. And eventually, not only does it look gorgeous, it's absolutely beautifully uh, directed and the cinematography is gorgeous, but it eventually goes down this path of things that you didn't really expect and uh, has a resolution, you know, that you didn't really expect either. And there are a lot of simplicities to, you know, the, the setup and the kind of story that it is. You know, it's not anything that's really going to blow you away, and it's not necessarily going to be as memorable as some of the other ones might be. But it was still, it was just fun, it was clean, it was well put together, it had a legitimate character, and you got to go somewhere. You know, it wasn't just a plain vehicle or a superficial vehicle for the praise of the, of the main character who was the stand-in for, you know, the director or the writer. 
So the whole thing is that both of them, they start with a good premise. You know, the first one, it's like they're trying to get pregnant. They're desperate to get pregnant. And there are some nefarious forces that are going on that are going to um, affect that, take advantage of it. So that's perfectly fine. And the cabinet one, you know, starts off uh, with the premise of he's in a tough spot and he's got to buy the storage unit. It was a little shady and bad things ensue as a result. So false positive, though, the first one is... A collective validation. It's calling for people who watch this movie to validate the writer by believing in the things that are happening in this world. And there are so many ways that this happens. And it's not just that people need to praise your character that's an indication of validation. It's when a character is vindicated in what they think. So if they are suspicious of these people or suspicious of those people, and then it turns out that they were right all along about how terrible these people or this group of people are, then that's a validation that's still funneling a a positive emotion to your main character. And by virtue of your main character to your writer, your director, whoever. And it's from so many directions in this particular movie that the writer wants validation psychologically. And then they write that validation into a fantasy to say, look at all these things happening to provide me with that validation. So when it comes to the cabinet one, it's where one starts with a premise and then tells a story. That's what's happening in that one. It's letting the complexity plot and character be the driver of what happens and how it resolves, as well as the independent interests of evil third parties, we'll say. So the most vindication or positive affirmation that you could say comes out of that one is just in the fact that the person who takes away the storage unit ends up having something bad happen to them, you know, because that would be the stand-in. The person who had their storage unit taken would be the stand-in for the writer in this particular case. But virtually everything that happens in the other movie is about that positive affirmation, and it just happens in from every direction in a million different ways. And it would be, I wish I could do this, (laughs) just go like scene by scene and point out how the writing is doing this from from start to finish. But I'm, I'm sure most people, most of my listeners anyway, when they watch a movie like this, they pick up on all those things pretty easily. Still, I think it would be fun. I think it would be a lot of fun. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's that's this episode. I think it was a good time, uh, you know, seeing these kind of contrasts and these kind of projects. I hear that the new Hellraiser movie is, is actually good, which was surprising. I wouldn't think that would be the case, but I think I'm going to have to check that out at some point. And I also watched one called Barbarian, which was, it had a balance, you know, it had a balance of really good things and really bad things about it, but it was still worth watching. Uh, Whatever the case, I'm not going to do full ones for those or anything. I just wanted to bring them up, and that is going to be it for this particular episode, and I will see you on the next one. All right, bye. (laughs)